About 40% of Americans make New Year's resolutions every year. And about 90% of those people are gung-ho, believe they're going to accomplish those goals. But about 80% of those people actually give up before the end of the month, before they even get into February. I'm Caitlin, co-founder of Speak With People and Life Coach. We are launching into a new series called Win Your Goals so that we can help you win your goals. Check out our website, speakwithpeople.com slash goals for resources. So whether you are creating a New Year's resolution, you're developing a business goal, personal goal, check out our resources to help you succeed. Welcome to the Speak With People podcast. My name is Jason Rates. I'll be your host and this podcast exists to help you improve your communication skills. Whether you communicate one-on-one to a team, from a stage, or from behind a screen, we know that when we improve our communication skills as leaders, it exponentially changes everything. It improves our relationships, it improves our leadership skills, and it improves our business skills. So let's get ready to dive into this next episode. Well, today I'm so excited about today's podcast because we're gonna dive into the question, how can I give a great speech? How can I give an effective speech that people will actually wanna listen, that they'll lean in, that they'll learn something from, and that they'll tell other people about? And for a lot of leaders, uh, we present things all the time, whether in team meetings, whether sales presentations, whether keynotes, whether you know speaking at a breakout. And so whatever it is, I think we have something to learn about delivering, preparing, and giving great speeches. And so how do you bridge the good to great gap Can anyone just give a great speech or do you need off the chart speaking skills? Well, today I sit down with, uh, I'm just going to blab here for a second because uh, I'm just so excited. An amazing author, a speaker, a business owner. He's a youth advocate. I absolutely love uh, what and and how much he brings to the world, how much he has brought uh, even to my life. And I'll tell a story about that later, but I'm so excited to have uh, Josh Ship on the podcast. Josh, Thank you so much for being on the Speak of People podcast. Here we are. It's an honor. I'm excited. Like I said, I should have had my Speak with People mug, coffee mug. I did not. I am I'm drinking out of an off-brand, off-label mug. I deeply apologize both to you and the audience hey. for that oversight. Hey, it's all right. It's all right. I can't remember what color I sent you, but... Uh, it was orange. Oof. It was orange. Yes. Yeah. We've got a new string of them coming in 2024. And I just, I, ha- I have a friend who hand makes each of them, you know, kind of, ooh, Patrick Swayze style. I mean, it's just. <laughs> I have no idea what that means, but I trust you because it's a great mug. <laughs> Is it, wasn't Patrick Swayze in a movie, Ghost, where he makes see, the. Th- see, now we're, now we're going to have a generational gap, all right? Look, there, there's enough conflict in our society I don't want us having a generational gap over 80s movies, though I, I am a child of the 80s, so I imagine that is a movie I should know. However, I only watched Terminator this year. This year, now listen, don't wow. give me that condescending look. Wow, this, there is some judgment This is there. the emotional baggage of the foster care system. Okay. You know, while you were in a nice cushy home, <laughs> all right, with loving parents, I was bouncing around, didn't have time to get around to the Terminator. Ugh. Obviously, I'm, I'm being facetious, but I did truly just watch Terminator, and, and it holds up. It holds up. It's a great movie. It was a great movie. Uh, yes, I did grow up in that, that kind of home. I had to wait, though, for my mom to travel, and then my dad really let us see the great movies. Rambo, oh. you know, 
Terminator. Oh, she, she, she thought it was too violent or that sort of thing, huh? Oh, 100%. Because my household, yeah. you know, we couldn't listen to certain, you know, radio stations. Couldn't, I couldn't watch He-Man as a kid. Yeah. So. Oh, amazing. But you, but you could play records backwards and hear directly from Satan, correct? Is that true? <laughs> that, was, that was the truth. That was the Absolutely. truth. It was great. Well, hey, Josh, uh, I know all about you. I think a good amount of our audience knows uh, a, a decent amount. But could you tell us a little bit more about who you are, what you do, your story, a little bit of your story? Yeah, sure. So I did grow up in the foster care system, as I facetiously alluded to earlier. And I spent the first 10 years of uh, or the first, yeah, the first 10 years of my career as a speaker and author, speaking primarily to middle school, high school age students about that experience that I had. And I was able to slowly, painfully develop a message that was a roller coaster of emotions where, you know, I could have an auditorium full of 800 skeptical high school kids at one moment roaring with laughter at the next moment you could hear you know the squeak of my sneakers as i walk mm. across the auditorium floor because there was just that pin drop of a moment and then also tried to extrapolate a message beyond you know if you weren't left as a kid as i was if you didn't grow up at fo in foster care how did these challenges that i went through kind of get them to open their hearts and then how did the subsequent decisions i made because of that trauma I went through, how could that be applicable to different challenges in their life? So that was the first 10 years. I had a, I had a wish list of events I'd love to speak at, things I'd love to accomplish. And shockingly enough, I accomplished all of them and then kind of, kind of had a midlife d depression at, at what, I don't know, like 29 years old or something. I spoke at the National FFA Convention, which is essentially kind of the Super Bowl of motivational speaking if you're going to speak to students. Mm. 50,000 50, students, just, an, just an, you know, something you would just you know, beg to do when you're getting started. So I did that, crushed it. It went really well. Uh, not out of luck, just sheer number of absurd number of repetitions in little mm. gymnasiums, you know, 200 people, speakers in the ceiling, bouncing, you know, sound bouncing everywhere. <laughs> But that event went really well. And then it was like, man, that's, that was kind of a high water mark for me. Uh, my wife and I began to have uh, children. And so my heart began to kind of shift from students to those that work with them. And then also working with other speakers who wanted to come up in that space and had a heart for speaking to students. So, the, so then the, the next 10 years of my career uh, were was being a speaker's agent for folks that worked in the in the youth and education space. So fast forward today, we have 35 speakers we represent. Those 35 speakers in any given year will do about a thousand individual events. Wow. You know, some speak to grade K through five, some grade six through 12, some college, some uh, educators and staff that work with them. And, you know, I think a lot of that is kind of what I'll lean into in our conversation is the fascinating part about that as someone who's been an athlete and is now a coach, as you begin to develop a bit of a pattern recognition and why is it that some good-hearted speakers do really well? Why do others sort of flounder? Why do others get stuck? And what is that difference, as you mentioned, between a good message and a great message? Mm. <clears throat> Oof, I love it. I love it. Uh, I, actually, <laughs> I actually met you for the first time 
uh, in one of those gymnasiums. Uh, this was a, you know. Oh, really? This was, this was crazy. It was in, I want to say Rockford, Michigan. You had come okay. to Michigan. And you had done the whole day of, you know, assemblies. And uh, I had emailed you and I said, hey, is there any way, you know, you'd give me, you know, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. Just I was a, I wanted to learn how to be a communicator, you know, speaker, all that kind of stuff. And you're like, yeah, come, come find me afterwards. So I, I came to the assembly and then I, something happened that I never experienced before. Uh, you told them about your book, uh, uh-huh. Teenage Guide to World Domination, yeah. Domination, yes. Yeah. You told them about your book. And then there was this line, line of students, you know, waiting to get it signed by you. And I just had never, I'd never seen anything like it. Like I'd gone to concerts where, you know, kids lined up to buy the swag and get it signed. But to see students lined up like that, you know, to get a book signed, I was like, this is, so, so Mm. I waited in the line. It was I like, was like, wait, wait, you're, you're an awful, awful bearded student. What is, who is this guy? How many yes. years did you flunk? It was like 45 minutes and I finally get up there and you're like, oh man, you didn't have to like wait in line. Yeah. Just shove some children out of the way. Just get them out of the way. You know, so man, the students, students are a tricky audience in that when you're getting started, they're ruthless and you're going to know immediately if it's if it's not working, I mean, it, almost almost the way in which if you were a comedian doing open mic nights in front of seven to eight drunk people, you know, you would just know painfully yep. if it's not going well. Yep. But then on the flip side of that, kind of as you saw in that gymnasium, if you can connect with them, you know, have those moments that are entertaining, have those moments that are earnest, and and tell them something genuine, honest, no BS. It's helpful. Yep. Their their reaction is kind of Beatlemania level. I've, you know, even to this day, I would I would say I'm a better speaker today to teachers and school staff, but you will never get that reaction from <laughs> right. teachers and I mean you just won't even. Right. You might get a standing ovation and then they're like, okay, see you later. See ya. Uh, you know, so it, it's such a a tricky but rewarding audience in every way definable. Yep. Well, and here's the. This was my. Uh, I still have it. Look, look at you've been signed in the front, Jason. Oh, oh no, no, I love the uh, the the inscription. I can't believe you waited. <laughs> <laughs> See, I've always been a smart Alec. What a great story! But then you're you're like afterwards, I was like, you were like, hey, let's. I'm my hotel's right down the road. You know, come ask me questions for ten minutes in the lobby. So it was fun. We uh, man, this sounds like very dangerous behavior. I'm just <laughs> there's a stranger. He's got candy. I'm a <laughs> inviting him to my hotel. Oh, it's, it's, I'm lucky to be alive, folks. You're, you're so lucky. A dad with four kids. I mean, it was at the time I had four. (laughs) That's right. Okay. So take us back to maybe one of the first times you were giving a speech or a talk when it kind of clicked for me, where it went from, okay, I I know this has moved from good to great. Cause I think we've all had those moments where we've seen the audience lean in and engage in a way that we've never seen before. You know, you just kind of feel that, uh, you know, athletes talk about it, right? When they're kind of in the zone, you know, was there a moment for you when that sort of clicked or was it, was it over time? Uh, Both. I I mean, I think, I think most speeches and most great speakers you see, you know, they get half of 1% better every single speech. Mm. 
And then they do a lot of reps. They do a lot of at-bats. And then by the time you see them, you know, as you did me in that gym, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty tight presentation. They figured out their voice. They figured out their delivery. But often, as is the case for me, those early presentations were floundering, figuring it out, mm. really brutal. You know, I had a high level of earnestness, a low level of skill, and a low level of content. I w in the beginning, I was not saying anything helpful. I, I think as speakers, we all kind of start off doing cover songs, essentially, mm. where there's some speaker out there that we run across. Now, these days, it would be probably on social media. But for me, back in the day, there was a, there was a speaker or two that came to my school or that spoke at conventions that I attended as a student leader. And I thought, man, that man, you know, she was really good. He was really good. And see, I feel like I spent the first year or two kind of doing cover songs of their style mm. or their delivery or how they got into a topic. And because of that, it just, it works for them, but it doesn't work for you. It comes off a bit clunky. You know, you look like a little boy in your dad's suit. You go, mm. okay, that's a suit. Uh, yes, but that clearly does not fit you. So a moment for me was, you know, I feel like this is like a scene, one of those movies where some person's running for office and they have a prepared speech and then they rip it up and they just kind of say what's on their heart. And, uh -huh. and finally, when they share what's on their heart and they're genuine and they're honest, even though it's a bit scary, that's the thing that actually connects with that audience. And, and, and that was the moment that I had because at this point, you know, I started giving speeches at 17, which mm. seems insane. You know, my son will be 17 in three years. I, I'm not sure that's, that's something I would entrust him with at that age. <laughs> but, but yet, caring adults did. And you know, being close to the age of my audience, there just became a moment where I felt like I'm just, I'm doing these cover songs. I'm just regurgitating successory posters mm. and kind of inspirational quotes. This isn't me. This is none of my uniqueness is bound up in this speech. And if I was sitting in this audience, I'm not sure I would find it that helpful mm. or that compelling or that engaging. So that day, had, you know, a couple of years into it was the first day that I shared my story of growing up in foster care, the different challenges, you know, spoke to them very, very candidly, very specifically, the, you know, the physical abuse, the sexual abuse, the emotional mm -hmm. abuse in detail, very specifically. I also kind of loosened up a bit. You know, I'm a bit of a smart aleck. I got this sense of humor. I mean, <laughs> as you know, and as people listen to me for five minutes can kind of tell. So I just, I just kind of, I just put myself into the talk, the mm. good of me, the bad of me, the, the, the things I have figured out, the things I don't have figured out, the, the quirks, the personality traits. And, and that, I would say that is, that is when the speech shifted, not from good to great. That would be an overstatement. Mm. But that's when it shifted from, yeah, that was okay, to that was pretty good. Not great mm. yet, but, th but that was pretty good with the absolute potential 
of it eventually after about a hundred more at bats with it being great. Mm. Oof. I love that. I love that. What, uh, what would you, if you could go back in time to some of those, you know, those early ones where you just thought, Oh boy, you know, did you know at the time that maybe they weren't as together or registering or was it just like, Hey, everyone, you're just, you're just going to keep getting a half percent better. You know, did you have that kind of self, uh, awareness or were you just like, Nope, this is what my focus is. I'm going to, I'm just going to keep walking down. I did not, I, I did not have that ability to read an audience as well as I would today. You know, the, the size of these audiences in the beginning were typically classrooms mm. or maybe two classrooms of students. So we're talking about, you know, 30 to 50 students and, and they were sort of well enough behaved. I, th- I think they were intrigued by the idea of, hey, there's some guy standing up there talking to us who's maybe two years older than me. Mm. You know, so it, typically if it's like it's a guest speaker, it, and now I would be this guy, it's someone decades older than them. So I think they gave me a little bit of grace just because I was I was a peer. But there was, and, and the adults were sweet because it, it's almost like if you had a three-year-old that could hit a golf ball 200 yards, you'd go, it's kind of a party trick. Right. You know, it, it's sweet, it's cute, it's, it's kind of startling because you don't expect a three-year-old to be able to do that tricky of a thing. You know, I think on the adult side of things, the folks that were bringing me in, that were entrusting me with 30 to 50 of their students' minds, it, it was kind of that. It's like, hey, you're not saying any, they didn't say this, but if I had to go back, you know, what were the private conversations after? It's like, well... He didn't say anything unhelpful. Right. He didn't say anything particularly helpful, but it was kind of cool to bring in a voice that's similar in age to our kids. Yep. And, you know, maybe something in his positive attitude kind of transfers to them. Yep. You know, now with the speakers I work with, I've kind of developed this idea of four quadrants that I'm looking for Mm. when I'm, you know, when we're, on that painful path of trying to get a speech from from good or decent to to great. I can go through those, Jason, if you want. I would love that. Let's do it. Yeah, so there's four quadrants. I'll kind of tease them high level and then we'll drill down on each, including sort of protocols if 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 a listener would sort of self-critique and go, you know, out of those four, that one's probably my weakest. So mm-hmm. high level, emotional practical, inspirational, and logical. And so you can see, you can kind of hear immediately, we have a balance of left brain and right brain kind of thinking. So emotional, as a speaker, you're going, can I, can I hear my audience laughing? Mm. You know, do I see them crying or do I see them getting really quiet during poignant moments? So, Mm -hmm. so is there an emotionality in your speech. And this is typically through funny jokes, anecdotes, storytelling, vulnerable storytelling, sort of throwing yourself under the bus in the service of your audience. Yep. Not, you know, not whining or complaining because you view public speaking as therapy. That's inappropriate. You know, therapy is therapy. Public right. speaking is not therapy, but it's you are you are revealing your wounds 
not in the service of yourself or your own healing, but in the service of your audience. Mm. Uh, and so if this is an area you go, yeah, I, I don't really do a lot of that, or that's a, that's a weak spot for me, you know, a protocol I would say is just get inspired by watching preachers, comedians, magicians, street performers, one man shows. I, I just watched, it just came out a couple of days ago, Mike Berbiglia, the old man in the pool. It's a one man show hmm. on Netflix. Now there, it's in no ways, in no way definable, a keynote speech. But there are dozens of things you will be inspired by and that are lateral lessons that would push you in your thinking of how you view your, your talk, your speech, whether you're talking in front of corporate executives, that's not my gig, but for some of you it might be, or students or educators. So the, the first thing there would be that emotional mm. quadrant, making sure you have that checked. Second one, practical, meaning does your talk, does your speech, this is where I was really weak at 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, <laughs> 22. Does it include specific, helpful advice? Mm. Is, is there a strategy? M meaning the way to self-diagnose this, <laughs> this is going to be such a gut punch to so many, but I've been here, so don't feel bad. Could someone else give your talk? Oof. Or is it so reliant on your personality, your personal story, that it's only you? So, so let's think about you know Dave Ramsey, finance guru, helping you get out of debt. He's got seven baby steps. Yep. Now, now we could agree. Maybe no one can deliver those seven baby steps like Dave. You know, he's got he's got a couple extra miles per hour on his fastball. But he's literally set it up in a way in which your aunt in Iowa can teach a class walking folks in her community through those seven yep. baby steps. Yep. So to me, when I think about, you know, is my talk practical? It's got to be, could, you know, could I write this down on a one sheet to my aunt mm. who's not a public speaker, not trained in it, not versed in it? And could she stand up in front of a group of people and present this material and would it still be helpful even without you know my personality or my story or whatever so if you know if, if this is an area someone would self-diagnose you got to work on specific helpful advice you know yep. say this do this try this here's a next step N not just interesting philosophy or interesting education uh, but Hey, now that you're inspired or now that you've, you're moved or now that I've made you laugh and cry and self-reflect, here's a specific next step for you. So that's that practical quadrant, uh, the third of four inspirational. And so this is, I mean, kind of similar to the emotional component, but this is, you know, is a lot of the feedback you get in your talk about about your story or a particular story that you told is, are you able to kind of contextualize your story so that it fits with the audience that you're speaking to? Mm. So, so for example, I once gave a talk to, a, now the most common talk I go out and give these days is to the entire school staff. 
But this particular talk I went out and did was just to bus drivers, just to district bus drivers, like a couple hundred of them, <laughs> you know, real kind of, you know, yeah, a couple hundred of them. And so there it's like, yes, I can still tell my story, but I need to contextualize my story about 10% to highlight, if true, like I got to mine my story for, was there a particular moment that one of my bus drivers made a difference? Mm. Was there a particular gesture that one of my bus drivers made? Was there a moment when I drove that bus driver crazy because I did that idiotic thing in the back of the bus that they could have snapped, they could have yelled, and no one would have blamed them, but instead they said this, they asked this, they did this. So, so, so instead of keeping it vague, yep. you know, really contextualizing it to the folks in front of you. You know, a lot of what you talk about, speaking, speaking with, not at. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so sort of the protocols here, if, if, if you feel like this is a bit of a challenge for you, um, these are tricky. The, the best protocol I've seen here is, is for someone to go to counseling. Mm. Yeah. Because, because, and it's, it sounds so like presumptuous, but in going to counseling, you're able to get some distance from your story and see how other people played into it, both good and bad. And then when you present your story, it's, it, it's much more inspiring and less so sort of bitter or therapeutic with the audience. So that's, that's the inspirational mm. quadrant. And then fourth and finally logical. So here, what you're looking for as a speaker is during your talk, is there ever a moment uh, so right now I see you, Jason, taking notes, right? This, this would be a great example. During your talk, is there ever a moment where you see your audience take notes? Mm. Pull out a phone, sheet of paper, go, ooh, that's, a, mm, that's kind of an interesting. This is what you're looking for. Do they ever pull out their phone and take a photo of a slide yes, right. that, you, that you put up that might reinforce an idea or uh, sort of visualize a, a you know, maybe fluffy or emotional idea in, in a bit of a framework? And, and then also, is, is your speech all anecdotal or is, or is there some evidence to it? Is there some research that buoys it that's just beyond your opinion and your lived experience, but it's, it's rooted in something? Uh, so protocols here that I find helpful if, if I'm struggling with this particular quadrant in a particular talk is uh, I find asking the most skeptical friend that I have to, to kind of pour through it. Very helpful. Mm. You know, a friend that just has an enormous BS radar and kind of hates everything and is skeptical yep. of everything. Like, you know, what if this doesn't sound true or what if this, what if this talk or message sounds like I'm overstating yep. or, you know, trying to be so inspirational that it's just like, Josh, shut up. It's not that easy. Right. It, because your skeptical friend, you know, at least 20% of the audience is going to be sitting there thinking that same thing. And so it, it, what that allows you then to do as a speaker is for you to bring up the elephant in the room mm. instead of that elephant in the room to be dancing around in the heads of 20% of your audience. And thus they've kind of ridden you off. Whew. That's good. Those are very, very, very helpful. Uh, and a good, a good way to look at it. When you just going back in time for a second, when mm -hmm. you were in the beginning, uh, did you engage in anything that helped improve some of your skills? Like, did you do Toastmasters or 
you know, all the speech classes you can? Or was this just a, hey, I got the reps and I got a mentor or I got a coach, you know? Did you take any I, of those steps? The first couple of years I did not. I wish I did. Th- that was a mistake. I, and it was really just I was bound up in my own ego and my own insecurity. And my ego and insecurity was like, I'm young, therefore I'm, I'm going at this different, you know, all you old guys out there kind of doing things in a similar way. And I didn't, I didn't recognize that the similar way that, that there was wisdom in it, that you, that you follow the wisdom of, of best practices and yet still be unique and put your own spin on it. Mm. For example, I recently read a couple of weeks ago that something like, I'm not going to get this number exactly right, but I'm going to get the spirit of it right. Something like 80% of pop songs that, that hit any given chart follow the same like A, B, A, B, A, B, C uh, pattern. And yet each of those songs, like they, they all are their own song. They all are unique. They all have their own kind of spin, personality, pulse, baseline, these sorts of things. Yet, yet there's a framework that all of those songs that are memorable, that, that sort of warm hold their way into our brain and into popular society follow. And so looking back, I wish that's what I would have done because I did that later Mm -hmm. as an adult, you know, realizing there's certain speech frameworks, for example, such as Monroe's motivated sequence that probably 80% of phenomenal TED Talks knowingly or unknowingly follow. So I, I shoved all of that out of the way, out of my own insecurity and ego. Uh, I just, and, and that's a mistake. I regret that. I, I would have progressed much sooner mm. if, if, if I would have let in a couple wise voices or a couple wise frameworks. Now, now what I did have working for me is just an insane number of reps. I would, I would speak anywhere for first several years, no amount of money, free, no problem. I'll be there. I'll do it. I don't care if there's five students there, I'll come and talk at the thing. So that sheer number of reps, but again, looking back on it, the regret is I was doing my homework in front of my audience when I should have done the homework privately at home. Right. And so that's, that's incredibly disrespectful of that audience, of those mm-hmm. audiences. Uh, you know, that, that work to be ready. You know, I think about it now, it's like, it is my responsibility to preheat the oven. Mm. That's not the audience's responsibility. And like, I should show up with the oven preheated and ready to go. And I, and I didn't do that. So those, you know, those first hundred events that I talked at, I was doing my homework in front of them and mm. figuring it out in front of them. And that's, that's, that's not appropriate. That's, that's not mm. okay. Boy, that's wise. Well, friends, this concludes this part of this episode. Because this episode was filled with, we just packed it with such amazing insights and wisdom, we have been able to split it into two parts. And so we hope you enjoyed this first part. Get ready for part two. We're going to air it this Friday and can't wait for you to experience it. See you then. Well, thank you for joining us on another episode of the Speak With People podcast. We hope that you were encouraged. We hope that you were inspired and challenged to improve your communication skills. I want to thank you again for being a part 
of the Speak With People podcast community. Make sure you don't miss out on being a part of the Speak With People Facebook community group. Just head to Facebook, type in Speak With People, scroll down and join our community because every single day, We're encouraging each other. We're helping each other to improve our communication skills. Thanks again, and we'll see you in the next episode.